welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, a speaker, and the best-selling author of the book, U-Turn. Get unstuck, discover your direction, design your dream career. I wrote the U-Turn book and I created this podcast to help you reconnect to who you truly are. And that is why every single week I bring on a guest with tools to really help you long-term upgrading your confidence, both in your work life and in your love life. And I'm also so grateful to say that this episode has been sponsored in part by our friends over at Soul CBD. They create the highest quality CBD on the market, and it's this trust I have with their brand that has led me to use their products every single day. Everything they make is organically farmed, gluten-free, with absolutely no THC in it. And today, I want to tell you about one of their game-changer products that probably everyone needs, especially when they're having a stressful week and they're on the go, and it's called Soul CBD's Dream CBD Capsules. Each capsule has 25 milligrams of pure CBD and 2.5 milligrams of melatonin. So whenever I travel to a different time zone, these are what allow me to get past the jet lag. I simply take one every night of my travels about 30 minutes before bed, and it pretty much guarantees me to be able to sleep through the night. And after four to five nights traveling and taking them every night, I'm officially on the new time zone. I also take a dream CBD capsule the night before a really big or important work day. Like if I have a meeting that really matters, a speaking engagement that might be keeping me up in my thoughts all night. What I love about the dream CBD capsules the most is that I never wake up groggy the next day. I'm refreshed. CBD and melatonin truly go together like peanut butter and jelly. So to get your dream CBD capsules now and to be on to better sleeps, head on over to ashleystahl.com slash soul and make sure you use the code U-Turn at checkout for 15% off your order. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com slash S-O-U-L and use the code U-Turn. Y-O-U-T-U-R-N at checkout. Now let's get in to this week's episode. Women need to feel loved and men need to feel respected and that men would choose feeling respected over feeling loved if they if they had to pick one. And so in order for them to give you the love that you need, they need to feel respect from you. I want to be respected as well. Most women want to be respected as well. But when you're looking at just chemistry and, um, and all these studies that have been done, we rank love higher statistically than men do, um, and they rank respect higher. Hey, U-Turners, it's Ash here, and we are in what I'm starting to think is probably my favorite category of this podcast, which is love, and I thought I would bring Rachel Rachel Ballard onto the show. She is a marriage strategist, she's a coach, and she has a podcast called How to Like Your Husband, which, I mean, let's all be honest, it's a very, very useful concept, and we figured we would talk about the pillars of a great marriage. Before we started recording, she started talking about three different pieces of the puzzle that make for a great marriage and how different it is from dating to being married. And so um, whether you're preparing for a relationship that's really serious or you're already in one, uh, I think this is going to be useful to all of you. So Rachel, thank you so much for making the time to be here with me. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm excited. This is going to be awesome. 
I, I'm, I'm literally going to be asking you questions from such a hungry place. What got you so committed to learning about how to like your husband, how to have a great marriage? So for me, it's it, what it really was, was a, a bad marriage. And so I've been married to my husband for almost 15. Uh, I've been with my husband for almost 15 years now. We've been married for 11. And um, we had an, uh, an okay marriage. I shouldn't say a bad one. We had an okay marriage where um, things were really good in the beginning and hot, spicy, loved hanging out together, doing all the things, all that stuff. And then we had um, some kids and things just got really stale, really um, quickly and it got to where we were really great logistical partners. Uh, we got all the humans to all the places. We had them fed. They were where they were supposed to be all the time. And that was good. Um, and we were really great business partners. We own a business together. We did that super well. Um, and then there was the whole other piece to marriage, that intimacy and the like romance and spice and friendship, like none of that was happening. It was like, we didn't have time for it. And um, a few years ago, as my boys were going to be headed into high school, somebody made a joke at dinner with friends that um, if we hadn't have had our girls who are younger, um, I should say we have a 18, 16, 11, and eight. So our two olders are boys and they were getting ready to head into high school. And they were like, Hey, if you hadn't had the girls, you'd be empty nesters in just a, a few years. And uh, it was funny at the time. And then as I got home, I was like, well, holy crap. Um, what do if, we want to do with each other? <laughs> yeah. Like if I hadn't had the girls, then I'd be free in a few years. Like I could go do something with somebody fun and I could have an exciting life again and like have some vibrancy and like all this stuff. And, um, because we do have his mind and ours, the I'm divorced from my son's dad and I've shared a kid and I hate it. I hate sharing mm -hmm. kid. I hate sharing my son. So I was like, well, I'm not sharing my girls. I'm not sharing more kids. And so I will just put my head down because my marriage isn't, there's no abuse. It's not terrible. We're we're functioning fine. We're really good roommates. Like we're doing the things fine. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'll just put that passion piece on hold and that friendship piece on hold, get her through, uh, get the last one through high school. And then at that time I can either spend this 12 years that I have, um, working on my marriage and working on myself and creating a relationship that I want to stay for. And that is, ex is exciting and long lasting and comfortable and all those things. or if not, at the end of those 12 years, I, I guess I go, you know, it was like, I could either sit there and do nothing, or I could sit there and do something. Uh, and I really had nothing to lose from the something, you know, so mm -hmm. I um, decided to make some changes to and I started with myself, I changed myself created the person that I wanted to be figured out who I was, and, um, and then used that to create the marriage that I wanted. And now I have a marriage that is exactly what I want, that fulfills all of my needs and all of my wants and all of my desires. And I want that for every other woman. I want to tell them how to avoid the bad, or if it is bad, how to get to the good and just feel really safe in their space and love it, love their life. Mm, what a useful what a useful lesson and process you've had for so many people listening, because I know 
that a lot of people who are about to get married or make a commitment, they think about this. Like they think are my, there's a lot of stories in their heads, perhaps about freedom and losing their freedom. Um, I would be curious if you could go back and I know that there's really no need for that because you've learned so much, but if you could go back to your younger self before you got married, what were some, I don't want to necessarily use the word mistakes, but missteps you were making that kind of got you into that rut. Yeah. So um, this is interesting. This is actually a question I've never been asked before, which I think is great. Um, When you you get interviewed on podcasts quite a bit, you tend to get the same questions all the time. And it can get really, really monotonous in a day. Um, But this is exciting. This is a question I haven't been asked. And I, I love it because I feel like I have some value to bring here. So the first, um, I think the first thing would really be to know who you are before you get married. Like, Mm. I think so many of us, um, we spend so much time like looking for that person, for our person, that we don't ever actually spend time with ourselves figuring out who we are and who might complement us well and um, what kind of things that we want our partner to bring to the table and, and stuff like that. We just kind of go with what feels good. Oh, he's, you know, he's cute. He uh, treats me good. You know, he gives me butterflies in my stomach, you know, whatever it is. But like, do you really know what you want? Or, you know, do you, sure, you probably talk about big things. Do you want kids? Do you want to work after marriage? Do you want to both be entrepreneurs or not? Or whatever it is, you might talk about those big things. But do you know how he wants to spend Saturday nights? Do you know, like, how you, more importantly, want to spend that time and what you want your life to look like over the next um, 50 years, like what's your goals and plans and all those things. So knowing yourself, I think is huge before you pick a partner because trying to figure that out after you have made that decision or after you've had kids or any of those things, I mean, it's so much harder. It's just more complicated. Um, Mm. And then I think another key factor is that um, we all have this tendency to fall into um, the expectation of um, what I call chick porn, which is like, it is ch- like chick flicks and um, romance, you know, movies, uh, Notting Hill and Pretty Woman and um, how many other Julia Roberts movies can I throw out at one time? A runaway yeah. ride, you know, whatever. Like, so we we watch this stuff and we read this stuff and we see these shows on television, uh, the I don't know, the This Is Us um, and A Million Little Things and all these shows, whatever. And it's like, this is what a relationship is supposed to be like. It's supposed to have this much drama and be this exciting and all these all these things are supposed to happen. And that is not, that's not the reality of life. Like in real life, um, your husband's going to have to hold your hair out of your face while you throw up from the stomach flu, you know, and, and possibly even clean up the bathroom afterwards. Like that's real life, you know, and um, in real life, one of your parents is going to get ill and you're going to have to support each other in that. And in real life, you somebody's going to lose their job and you're going to have to support each other in that. And so we go into marriage with this expectation of what media gives us. And mm-hmm. it's impossible. It is impossible for any man to live up to that. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we just set them up for failure. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, I don't know, like my family were really comfortable with each other and I was noticing my 
little brother, he just got married and she's amazing. Like I'm so excited, but they're so comfortable with each other. I always tell my brother, like, don't be so comfortable and make comments. Like if you have to go to the bathroom or like, don't hold the door open when you pee. Like, do you have any beliefs about that? And like that killing the mystery or magic between a couple? I totally do. So my husband and I do not, (laughs) we do not go in the bathroom when the other one is going to the bathroom. Um, That was something I started, like he was totally fine with it. He would be like, oh, you know, I'm like, no, no, I like to have some mystery to like the things. I mean, he'll come in there while I'm in the shower or whatever, but like bodily functions, eh, we don't, we don't do that here. I'm just think that there's some romance to be left and there's so little, especially once you've had kids, there's so little, but I mean, if your husband has nursed you through an illness or any of those things, like that's going to kill it already. So I feel like there's things that you can do. I'm trying to think of an example other than the bathroom because that's the main one. You know, I don't know. I still treat it like I'm dating, you know, like, Hey, um, I wouldn't want to like be in the car on a first date and have the dude just like rip one. I mean, frankly, I don't know. (laughs) So I'm not going to do that with my husband either, you know, like, and he's not going to do that with me. Like we try and keep things like, Amazing. Dating. I don't know. This went downhill quickly. (laughs) Well, it also seems like a gender thing, you know, because I feel like the guys are like associated somehow with like an excuse for them to just like fart all over you. Yeah. No, we don't do that here. Women are looked at like, uh uh. And so to me, I'm the same as you. I just dodge the whole thing. But I sometimes think people have a belief that the more you show, the closer you are. And I found that sometimes it can be sabotaging for like what is real for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess if it works for you, I mean, you do you, but I do think anything that would sabotage your intimacy is a, is a no, is a solid no. Like if it doesn't turn you on, then it probably turns you off and you should stay away from it. Is there like, where do you draw the line where you're like trying to like, keep the lust and spark alive with somebody and where you're trying to like be a human who wants to wear sweatpants and not put on makeup. Yeah. So I think that a lot of it is knowing what the turn-ons are for your partner and then Mm. trying to find a happy medium of that. Because so my husband thinks I am sexy as hell in sweatpants when I've just woke up. I, I tell you that, like, I used to think he was lying, but I mean, we're like 15 years into this and he is still like super turned on by that. So when he gets home in the afternoon and I am, I'll be, you know, I'm in jeans and a t-shirt. I'm home with kids all day long. And, um, that doesn't really, you know, there's, he'll, he'll say that I look nice. Like he's fine with it, but first thing in the morning, I mean, that he's like all about that. So it really depends, I think on the guy and knowing what they like and then finding a balance of that. I mean, I'm all for giving giving them what they like as often as possible, but you have to balance that with reality too. Like sometimes he's going to come home and you're going to be in, in sweats and that's the reality of life. If you can make that better by making sure your teeth are brushed and your hair's brushed and maybe you put on a little makeup, then great. And if not, I'm sure he's going to love you anyway. So it's finding a balance and knowing what he likes and doing those things as often as you possibly can. And frankly, Mm -hmm. don't we all like feel better when we just get dressed and totally, I don't know, I feel like I do. So yeah, that's really helpful. I think a lot of people struggle with these things because it's like, we don't want to confide to like quote unquote, you know, rules, but 
we also want to like honor our partner and like know what's interesting or turns up, turns them on so we can like keep it alive. Um, so where do you think people, yeah, exactly. Like, do you think everybody's destined to go off course with this or do you think some couples just like have that magical chemistry that stays around and for some reason doesn't go anywhere? Honestly, I think everybody's destined to struggle a little bit as you go through the phases of life. Like, that would be like saying that you're never going to get a pimple in your life. Like we're all going to go through phases of um, change shifts in our reality. Um, even, even if you don't have kids, even if you are always an entrepreneur, you know, even whatever you're, there's going to be things that change in your life. And with change, if you are not being aware and actively working at your relationship, uh, m- especially as you become more and more comfortable with that person, it's so easy to make that be the thing that has to wait. You know, I mean, this is the person you should trust more than anyone else. I know without a doubt that my husband has my back 100% and that if I need to take care of anything else, uh, you know, a sick parent or something with my job or whatever it is, like he's going to be there for me in the end, which makes it really easy to put him last when I need to do those Mm -hmm. things, you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that, you know, everybody's destined to lose the spark that that's, that it's like definitely going to happen, but I do think everybody's going to be challenged in some way that and has to be constantly aware and constantly working to put their partner first. U-turn friends, I'm so excited to talk to you about my new couch. And I know that sounds super weird, but I fell in absolute love with the Feathers couch over at Value Furniture. It's V-A-L-Y-O-U Furniture. I was so obsessed with it. I reached out to them to sponsor this episode and I'm so grateful that they did. I got their Feathers couch, which is so incredible, so comfy, and also it's washable. So every single time I take Jupiter on a walk around New York City and he gets dirt in his paws and he lays on the couch, I'm able to unzip it, wash it, and it looks good as new. So our friends over at Value Furniture were nice enough to give us a discount code over at ashleystahl.com slash value. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L dot com slash V-A-L-Y-O-U. Value Furniture is changing the game when it comes to your furniture. Make sure that you use the code U-Turn, Y-O-U-T-U-R-N at checkout for 5% off your order. It is just so incredible, the high-end things that they are providing at the prices that they do. I hope you love it. Again, ashleystall.com slash value, V-A-L-Y-O-U with the code U-Turn. And I'm sure if you check me out on Instagram, you'll be seeing me laying on that couch all day long because I'm so obsessed. Anyway, back to this episode. Okay, so I have so many questions. I know you had mentioned three pillars. And for those of you note takers, she talked to me earlier about respect, friendship, and intimacy. And I'm really excited to get your take on each of these and how to keep them, how to cultivate them, what they really mean to you. So starting with respect, like what does it look like when you respect somebody? And also what does it look like when you don't, and maybe it's time to leave that relationship? Yeah. So um, respect is one of the pillars that I include because it is so important to men. Um, There's a lot of, there's several national studies that have been done, um, books written about the fact that, you know, women need to feel loved and men need to feel respected and that men would choose feeling respected over feeling loved if they, if they had to pick one. And so, um, 
in order for them to give you the love that you need, they need to feel respect from you. So it's, it's just a little bit different the way that our brains are wired. Um, I want to be respected as well. Most women want to be respected as well. But um, when you're looking at just chemistry and, um, and all these studies that have been done, we rank love higher statistically than men do. Um, and they rank respect higher. So for me, and what I try and teach my coaching clients is that respect needs to be the forefront of what you're doing for your partner. Um, and that can look like a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, a lot of times it looks like appreciation for maybe um, the work that he's doing for you or your family, for um, the time that he's putting into something, little things that he does for you, you know, just verbal appreciation or text or um, whatever, you know, whatever way you guys have of communicating that, making sure that he mm-hmm. knows that you appreciate him, um, that you respect the time that he spends doing whatever this thing is. And then um, there's all these little ways of showing respect. And again, you have to know your partner and what um, what he likes, what he digs. You know, like in my house growing up, it was like, daddy always got the big piece of chicken. Like that was like a thing that my mom lived by. And yeah. um, <laughs> that might be a Midwest thing. I don't know. But <laughs> So, you know, it was like you'd get the the bucket from KFC and there'd be one really nice piece and the, all the rest is just kind of like, you know, legs and wings. And so, you know, that one really nice piece like that went to dad. Um, and literally that was the only respectful thing my mother ever did, I think, in their relationship. They didn't get along very well. But that one thing, you know, it really stuck to me. And it's, it's something um, that I do for my husband now where I'm like, you know, he... Um, he always gets his food first. Like, you know, if I'm the one making dinner, um, then him and I will get our plates and then the kids, you know, go after us or if he's making dinner, you know, but he, we get to eat first kind of that we get to get our plates first and then them. And it's like a sign of respect. So there's a million uh, ways that you can show respect that just have to do with deferring to your partner a little bit and making sure that they feel heard, you know, Mm-hmm. This was actually something I learned in leadership too. You said the word deferring to your partner. And I used to work, I don't know, we didn't really talk much before we were recording, but I used to work in national security in Washington, DC. And, mm-hmm. uh, and my boss, when I was like this young counterterrorism professional, he, I used to say like, how do I navigate this person or that person? Cause I used to hire a lot of generals from the Afghan military randomly to come and talk to my group. And mm-hmm. he, he said, you need to practice deference. And I never forgot that. Like when you are trying to show respect, like practicing some level of deference and like referring to the other person and asking them what they think and considering their point of view, it's, it's so powerful. So I'm really excited you're sharing that as it relates to love as well. It, you know? it really is. And, and it's something that seems to be frowned upon a lot. Like it doesn't make us strong, independent women or whatever. And I just, I call BS on that. Like. I just think it takes a strong and independent woman to be out to dinner with a bunch of friends and have somebody ask a question and look at your partner and be like, what do you think about that? You know, and like kind of let them go first. And when you Mm -hmm. offer that to them, like they give it back to you. The whole point is, is that 
this is going to circle around to you as well. And they're going to give you that same respect. So I think it takes somebody being confident and, um, and strong in their um, relationship to be able to do that. So I look at it as a sign of strength as opposed to weakness. Mm, that's really great. And I'm also super interested in like how to cultivate it. So you said one example was like asking them what they think about something. Are there other ways outside of how each partner has their own individual right. concept of respect? Are there some like more universal things that you think, yeah, this, this is a way to show respect? Yeah, I think, um, well, I mentioned appreciation. Appreciation is always a sign of respect. Um, deferring to them in a decision, like even if you have, um, you know, in life decisions, uh, family decisions within your own relationship, even when you have maybe completely made your mind up, maybe you have got exactly what you want to do um, in your mind. Um, men uh, love to fix things for us. They love to help us solve problems like that is their nature is fixers and solvers and um, we know this because sometimes we want to vent to them and we just want to vent and they they're giving us all these ways to fix it and we're not even looking for those right so sometimes the biggest sign of uh, biggest way you can show respect is to hear them out just just hear them out let them let them give that to you and say, you know, I appreciate you doing that for me so much. And I appreciate you thinking this through for me. I'm really going to think about your suggestions and, you know, letting them know that they're heard is always a huge sign of respect. And um, I think one that can go a long, long way with any man. Mm, I love this. And I know that there's like all sorts of different sexual preferences here, but I feel like it's still masculine, feminine, like masculine energy is right. solutions. Feminine is like being. So this makes sense to me. And speaking of the next pillar, you talked about friendship. I have a lot of questions about this because um, I, I think it's not just me, but a lot of partners, when you feel like your best friends and there's this concept in society of marrying, marrying your best friend, mm-hmm. sometimes the dynamic can become like a brother and sister or like funny little roommates mm-hmm. who are like, looking at each other. So what do you recommend or what do you think people should be thinking about as they're entering marriage, as they're in a marriage when it comes to dynamics and like, what does it look like to have friendship? Yeah. So friends, best friends with your husband um, is a term I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm solidly south on it. I was, I was kind of in the middle and I think I don't like it. And Hmm. the reason that I don't like it is because I feel like your husband should be so much more than that. I feel Mm -hmm. like, um, your husband, your partner, like those, those terms alone say like that you've decided to do life with this person. And that, that means that they should be your best friend. They should be your lover. They should be, um, your partner in everything. Um, my husband knows more about me than any best friend I've ever had or will have. And I think that that makes sense. Um, so is he my best friend? Absolutely. He's my, my best guy friend for sure. And, uh, but then there, he's so much more than, you know, he's so, so much more than that. So, um, I think also the friendship is oftentimes what kind of starts things out for us in the beginning as we have that silly back and forth banter when we're dating and, and kind of a little bit of the flirting and stuff. And, and it leads into something else and keeping that alive you know, that friends with benefits, you need that best friend with benefits or yeah. you're in trouble, right? So yeah. 
in an effort to always keep that, I highly, highly, highly recommend a weekly date night. Um, a lot of times you can get just in that pattern where you're like only going out when you guys are meeting friends places or, you know, and otherwise you're like doing your Netflix thing or hanging out at home, whatever it is that's your like go to uh, Wednesday night, you know, move, whatever, but still instituting a weekly date night, which is like time set aside, separate for your, from your phones, separate from kids if they're involved, separate from other humans that's like dedicated just to you guys talking about things that are not important things. Like we're not talking about like, let's have a conversation about the budget. No, we're not talking about the budget. We're not talking about work. We're talking about like fun things because when you are dating, when you're trying to decide like, is this a person that I want to live with? Is this a person that I want to spend time with? All this stuff um, that um, when that is what's in your mindset, right? That's one type of relationship. And that's why you're dating at that point. And as you've made decisions to live together and to get married and to take things to the next step, your reason for dating is completely different. Now you've already made those big decisions. And so now your reason for dating is to keep that friendship alive, keep that intimacy alive, to create inside jokes and memories and have adventures together and all of these things, right? So mm -hmm. um, the purpose is different, which makes it even more important to do it on a regular basis. So, you know, we um, go out every, uh, we don't necessarily go out, but we have a date every um, week. It is the most important thing on our calendar. And it is all about um, being able to connect and do something fun. So in times where the budget is tight, that might look like um, playing some board games after the kids go to bed, um, and turning off the phones and the TV and just like hanging out together. Uh, it might look like a hike. It might look like a walk around the neighborhood for a little while. Um, sometimes it looks like getting dressed up and going out Um you know, it can look like a million different things, but it is time set aside in our week that I say to my husband, like, this time is just for you. Nobody else gets this from me. And he does the same mm -hmm. for me. Mm, beautiful. And um, I'm curious, like, as friends, you know, you get comfortable with each other and we're going to also talk about intimacy, but like, what are some trademarks of people who you think really do have a friendship? Because I think sometimes our chemicals, and I would love if you know anything about the science of this, but um, our chemicals seem to kind of take over and we think we have a friendship with somebody and then years go by and we realize we don't even like them. Um, and we didn't even like them in the first place. We just wanted them to fill a role in our lives. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, how do you know that you're actually friends with somebody? You know, I feel like um, things happen right? Things happen in the world and in our lives and our feelings for people change, but that you have to be able to trust your gut on a lot of levels. And if you, if you feel that friendship um, and you're a person that trusts yourself, I think what happens later isn't necessarily because you were wrong. Um, it's just because something changed in the circumstances and you either weren't working this aspect the same way or enough, or literally something, you know, changed the dynamic, some mistrust happened or, um, just, you know, people can go through a lot of emotional 
things in life. So I think having having the friendship is what keeps your relationship solid going through. Um, is that answering your question? I feel like I'm missing part yeah. of it. No, I think that makes sense. I think also just my curiosity for everybody listening is like, what are some signs that you really do have a friendship? You know? Yeah. Like, okay. I guess I'm curious for anybody listening, if we could like, I hate to dwindle it down to boxes, but like take a couple notes here on like, what does friendship really mean or look like? You know? Yeah. I think um, for me, when I, when I wanted to actively work to become friends with my husband, I think one of the things that I really wanted out of that was that I wanted to choose to spend time with him like automatically. And what I mean by this, it, it might sound kind of confusing, but um, I have a friend, Brooke, uh, amazing friend of mine, super great friends. Um, her husband, Jim, is her favorite human on earth, like mm-hmm. favorite human on earth. She chooses to hang out with him whenever possible. He has a really busy schedule and, with work. And so there have been times where um, I'll text her and say, hey, want to meet up for a walk after bedtime tonight? You know, we're both moms have kids at home and we live in the same subdivision, right? So you want to meet mm-hmm. up for a walk? And she'll say, oh, you know, uh, Jim's going to be home in 15 minutes. So I really just want to hang out with him tonight. And that used to like, I used to hear that and just think, seriously, you want to hang out with him instead of like, get out of the house and go for a walk with a girlfriend? Like what? That doesn't Mm -hmm. make any sense to me. And what I realized is that actually I was really jealous that like she, Mm. she wanted to hang out with her husband. So, and now that I'm in a place where like, there's sometimes that I'll have like a girl's night set up with friends that I'm genuinely like, oh, but I'd so much rather just stay home with you. And that's not because I don't like those people. I still love those friends. I still, you know, need them in my life. I'm just like, he's like, I love hanging out with him. It's so much fun. Like I know, and it's easy fun. That's the other piece to it. I think that is sometimes missed like friendship with a true partner. It should be easy and, Mm -hmm. and you should feel a hundred percent at ease to do you know, whatever and be whoever. You don't have to be fake at all. And so if you really sit back and analyze the situation when you guys are together, was I 100% myself? Was there any point where like I made a joke and he made a little look and I felt bad about myself for a second or felt like he didn't like something that I did? Like, do you see those? Because oftentimes you'll see those little kinks And then eventually that's where you realize like, oh, this wasn't the right person for me because there's something that rubs him wrong the wrong way, him the wrong way about you or vice versa. And if you can sense that when you're dating or considering marriage with someone, like that's, that's a flag. That is not the person for you because that true friend, um, I'm not going to tell you that it never annoys you that they leave their boxers on the floor yeah, or whatever. I was ask you about that. Yeah. Figure out what the annoyances versus like, you know, cuz we're yeah. all human. So I'm not talking about the annoyances like boxers on the floor that's annoying. I'm talking about something that genuinely makes you think, "Oh, he doesn't Oh, that that look tells me that he doesn't think I'm a good person or that look tells me that he thinks I'm stupid or that you know, it's like hmm, let me think how to explain this. It's we've all had 
that guy. Breakers are non-negotiables where it's like, this is beyond like a irritability. This is like a character flaw for you. Yes. And non-negotiables are the hugest part of that. Like if a, if a guy you are dating meets one of your non-negotiables and those non-negotiables, people always think negatives in that, like, oh, he, um, he robs banks. So I don't want to be with a bank robber, you know, like it's negative. Right. But they don't have to be negative either. Like a lot of your non-negotiables are positive aspects that you want in somebody. And if they don't meet all of those, you know, and what I mean by that is um, there's some really basic ones that most of us want honesty. You know, I want to be with someone that's honest. Okay. That's a positive non-negotiable. It is if I find out that you are um, taking money out of the till at work, like that's a done deal for me. Like that's not, that's not cool at all. Um, But then there's, there's things beyond that that are important to you and just you that aren't so universal. Like, do you like to laugh? Do you want somebody that's going to make you laugh? I do. I I want somebody that's going to crack me up. Um, Yeah. And because of that, it never really annoys me when my husband cracks me up. Um, If you're a person that's like, oh, I want to laugh here and there, but, you know, I don't want everything to be a big joke. Well, then you need to make sure you're not with a person that's breaking that non-negotiable for you, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so looking at them as when we hear the word non-negotiable out in the world and people say, you know, you you shouldn't, they shouldn't do this, this, and this, and they have to meet, you know, they have to, if you want kids, they have to want kids, right? Because that's a non-negotiable for you. Or if you don't want kids, they also can not, right? But there's Mm -hmm. so many other little underlying things that you as your own individual human want or don't want, and making sure that somebody is not going against those is where you're going to find your true friend that's going to last. Yeah. And it's funny because I think a lot of people, when they find so many factors, it's like one con is enough to outweigh a hundred pros. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, so-and-so is so amazing except for his anger issue. It's like, dude, an anger issue. Like he throws things around your house when he's upset. You know what I mean? It's like, that's a problem. (laughs) Yeah. Like cross our fingers and hope this doesn't rear its ugly head. But the thing is, is that I think a lot of um, people and I and I I don't want to genderize it, but even if that's not even a word, but say only women. But I think a lot of people try to talk themselves out of their non-negotiables, or they try to negotiate yeah. with their non-negotiables, and that's just not necessarily doable. And I know that another topic or pillar, the third one that we talked about was intimacy, mm-hmm. and this one feels like it's loaded because um, I think a lot of people feel fear around. And I know intimacy can mean a lot of things. And a lot of people are probably thinking sex, but there's also just sharing with them and being open with them. Vulnerable. Um, yeah. Being vulnerable. And I think a lot of people think like, if they really make these commitments, like their freedom is out the window, or if they marry this one person, they can't have sex with anybody else ever again, if they're in a monogamous relationship. So right. I'm curious, what, like, what are your beliefs about intimacy as it relates to a great marriage? And how do you cultivate that? So I think um, just like any of the rest of these, I know I'm sound like a broken record, but it's all about what you need in your life. Now, what I need in my life um, is great sex on a regular basis. I need a husband that's going to touch me throughout the day. Like I, I want to be touched throughout the day and I want to feel like my husband thinks that I'm 
beautiful. I want, but I also want to be able to be vulnerable with him. And I want him to be honest with me. You know, if he thinks a pair of pants do not look that great on me and I ask him that, I want him to tell me the truth. Um, And I want that so that I know that he's always going to be honest with me so that when he tells me when we're, you know, 60 years old or 50 or 60 or 80 or whatever, and he says, you look so beautiful today. I want to always be able to believe that because he's always been honest with me. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, I think intimacy and vulnerability um, go together. And I Mm -hmm. think that they, the vulnerability, especially as a muscle, you have to exercise every single day, like, and, and be, to be able to be in that space where you're willing to open up, um, to that person. But, um, as far as like some universal formula for intimacy, I don't think there is one. Um, I think a lot of what happens there, unfortunately, is cultivated by what has happened to us in, in the past, right? Um, so many women, I, more more than not, um, have suffered in some way that affects their intimacy or their willingness to be vulnerable with a man because of something that has happened in their past. And it can be as simple as something their dad said one time or that their brothers, you know, did one time. It doesn't have to even, I'm not necessarily even saying it was something illegal. I'm just saying like they made some comment at some time that broke your confidence in a way that makes it hard for you to be intimate or hard for you to be open and vulnerable with your partner. And so um, getting past all of that, getting Figuring out what those are, facing them head on, and being willing to move past them is, um, I think, a first step in able to being able to be really open with your spouse and being able to have like conversation around all the ways that you guys want to be together. Hey, U-Turners, for this quick interruption, I want to take a moment to say thank you to our incredible sponsors over at SaneBox, an artificial intelligence-powered email tool that has been a game changer for freeing up my time and boosting my productivity. So with more than 200 to 300 billion emails going out per day and over 7 trillion emails going out each year, it's really no secret that email is kind of slowly killing all of us. In fact, recent data shows that more than half of employees feel like their email is killing them and another study found that almost 50% of the time that managers spend tending to their inboxes is spent on emails that should have never been sent to them in the first place or didn't even require their answer. This is where SaneBox comes in. With the press of just one magical button, I've been able to say goodbye to all of those time-wasting emails and hello to my sanity and my schedule again. Seriously, everyone needs them. So when you sign up at sanebox.com slash U-Turn, that's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N, you'll get 14 days for free and $25 off their super affordable membership if you decide to join and you love it as much as I do. And once you'll do that, you'll be able to easily sign into your current email box and with a click of the button, you can integrate SaneBox. And I am not very tech savvy, but I've got to admit this was super easy. And from there, you'll see under your inbox folder and your sent folder, a couple new folder friends. 
One is going to be called Sane Later, which is pretty much code for spammy emails that you don't need to see. And the other folder you'll see is called the Sane Black Hole, where you can drag and drop emails into both of these folders that you don't want to be subscribed to anymore. Between mailing lists and cold sales emails, I'm at 100 black hole emails per week, such a big time saver, and my Sane Later box that takes all of these other emails I don't really need in my inbox, I check it once a week or so, and I'm always so pleasantly surprised to see over hundreds and hundreds of emails in there that I never needed to even see. The black hole will use artificial intelligence to get to know you and eventually auto-place emails in there to support your productivity. I check it weekly, like I said, and there's really nothing I'd have changed. What a gift. It is like a magic trick for your inbox. As I mentioned, head on over now to sanebox.com slash U-Turn. That's S-A-N-E box.com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N to access 14 days of Sanebox for free, as well as a $25 credit for a serious discount on their super affordable membership. If you're anything like me, you are going to be in love with it. Now let's get back to this week's episode. Mm, Okay, so what message would you have for somebody that feels like they don't get to have sexual intimacy with anybody else for the rest of their life if they pick one person? Like, what do you have to say to that human? Because I think there's a lot around intimacy and commitment that comes up for a lot of people. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, even with you, you said when your marriage wasn't working for you, like it crossed your mind, like, man, I would be done after this with my kids and I could go have some exciting experience. Right. And I think a lot of people who get married, like deep down, there's probably quite a percentage that are like, dang, like this is the end of me, like meeting somebody new and having that first love. Or- so yeah, I think you have to, you have to create that in your own relationship. Like mm-hmm. my relationship feels fresh and new all the time. Does that, mm-hmm. I mean, now that doesn't mean that when, you know, we want to um, accomplish something in the bedroom pretty quickly that we don't have our go-to move for that. And then, you know, that's nice and quick while the kids are, um, you know, before they wake up in the morning or whatever, you know, we all have that thing. But then there's the like, how can we change things up? How can we keep things fresh and new? And that's where like having these adventures together, making sure that we're making time for each other and constantly like my husband and I are constantly doing new things together, exploring. We own our own business, a couple businesses now. And so we um, are constantly exploring new business ideas or personal growth I mean, the person I am today and the person I was when I met my husband, they're not the same. He's made a joke before, you know, even that it's literally like he's having an affair because I'm such a different person than I used to be. And I don't think that's abnormal. I think anybody that is aware of the a growth mindset and that is aware that they need to constantly be working and growing and learning um, in order to be happy in their life and to be productive in their life is going to be a different person. So yeah, is it scary to commit to one person for the rest of your life? I think that's scary for all of us. That's a huge commitment. Um, But when you really break it down, you're not the same person for the rest of your life. You're not. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm the Mike that I get to date right now I I mean, this is probably the fourth version of him that I've gotten. So, you know, I feel like we get to change it up fairly often. And, um, and then even as we age, I mean, your body changes, you, um, you, 
um, the way you hold yourself, your confidence, like the jokes that you guys have, the moves you learn in the bedroom, like all the things change. So it, it the idea of it is scary, but in execution, we're, we're new people constantly, you know, we're going through the roller coaster of life and changing on a regular basis. So if you can open your mind to looking at it like that and realizing what a different person that you have today than you had when you first met, uh, you would probably see that it's not as scary or as boring as you might have thought because you've you've got somebody different there already. That idea that you're stuck with one person for the rest of your life, I think that's very fixed mindset, very closed-minded. Mm-hmm. Like, unless you're planning on being the same person, you know, doing the same thing, watching the same shows, making the same mistakes over and over, like, why would you think they would? You know, things change. Mm-hmm. It stays exciting mm-hmm. if you work at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... It's interesting, like all of the misunderstandings people have, I think, about commitment in one person. Yeah. Um, just last questions before I let you go is um, you talked about trust. Like, what do you think people can do to create and cultivate trust? Uh, be trustworthy, first, mm-hmm. first and foremost. Um, secondly, never joke. Never joke about trust. Um, you know, that was probably something I should have mentioned in the beginning when you were like, hey, do you guys have any things? Like, yeah, we have things. We do not joke about divorce ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do not joke about cheating. Although I guess I did just say that my husband felt like he was having an affair, but it was with me, like, to be clear. So, yeah. you know, it's like we do not um, joke about that stuff. And we're also very, very um honest with each other. Like men are visual creatures. I have no doubt that when we walk in somewhere that, you know, if there's a girl that is wearing clothes that are revealing, like he's going to notice that. I know he's going to notice that. And where the respect comes in is that he notices and then his head swivels back to me and we go on with our night. Right. Um, But there was definitely a time in my life when I was younger that just as soon as I saw him notice, then I immediately like am go to red eye glare. You know, I'm like, oh, oh, I saw you look at her. You know, I, mm, I see what's happening here, whatever. So I think giving your men a second of grace to like understand that their biology is visual and that they are, you know, they're going to notice and then they're going to, you know, as long as they come back to center to where you are and continue the night, you know, with you, that that's, um, that that is trust and that's respect and that's building it. So I think oftentimes we, as women, we get really jealous over things like that. And then it causes our, our guys to like hide things from us and keep things from us because they're afraid of our reaction. I'm not saying mm. that this is like universal. If your guy's a cheater, you know, that's a different topic, but like inner trust in a relationship where he's given you no reason to, to believe that he would pursue something other than you, that you need to be willing to, uh, give him some grace as well. And, and then not joking about, um, things like that is really important. Mm -hmm. And, um, as far as like keeping the dynamic clean between two partners, I know that it's tempting, like I was saying to like, have like little baby voices or like kind of just into like roommate vibes. Like what are your beliefs about that? And how do you kind of have fun and play, but also keep a boundary up? Yeah. I think, um, I think sometimes like 
what can be fun and playful when it happens once or twice can really easily do like you said and you know the baby voices or whatever like if you're doing that with each other constantly it's going to as a general rule break up that intimacy um so i think you have to be really aware of things like that and constantly be changing the dynamic and that part of doing that and making that happen is by regularly like having these adventures together having these things you do together maybe it's you know if you go guys both like to read maybe you're both listening to the same book on your way to work in the morning or um, so you have these, you know, inside jokes about it or conversations you can have about it, or um, you guys watch a TV show together and you have that in common or going out and hikes or axe throwing or, you know, escape rooms, whatever your thing axe is. Throwing. I love the variety. Uh, yeah. I mean, we do a lot of different date nights around here because I like some variety. So <laughs> the sky is the limit. Um, but, you know, having that um, variety is... Uh, really important to keeping your dynamic safe. I am never going to tell you that it is wrong to do baby voices with your husband or that it is wrong to let your husband in the bathroom when you're going to the bathroom. Like you have to do uses. Like that's fine. Do I think it's necessarily the thing that's going to keep the most spice in your marriage and, and keep it, you know, amped up? I don't, it's not for me and for my marriage. Um, but just being aware of the things that you are doing and figuring out like, okay, how do I feel when I do this to him or when he does it to me, how do I feel? Do I feel butterflies in my stomach? Does it make me hot? Like, am I, does this get me turned on? And if the answer is no, it just makes me feel like my brother just talked to me, then you should probably not be doing it very often. <laughs> you know, like that's, to give it the brother test. If my brother said that to me, like, how would I feel? Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's a great test. The bro- This is a perfect note to end on. And I <laughs> guess my final question is like, what do you think ultimately changed? You said that you were a different person and your husband sometimes feels like he's having an affair with you on you. <laughs> it's like, where did you, what, what was going on in the marriage that you just completely dropped and made it transform in this way? Um, a lot of that had to do with my history. I grew up in a house of yellers. Uh, my parents yelled a lot until they ultimately uh, got divorced when I was 16. And um, so I came into my marriage as a yeller. And it was almost it was like my love language, um, not in a positive way, but it literally like we would be in an argument and I would be yelling. And he, my husband is not a yeller. You know, he's he'll definitely argue with me, but not not yelling. And, um, I would just be like, how can you not care? Like you don't even love me if you won't yell, you know, like you won't like argue with me in this way. And it really, like, as I was looking at myself and wanting to make a new life for myself and wanting to change the marriage that I had, I had to go back and look at some, some big things in my life that that had happened and analyze how I was letting those, um, determine who I showed up as now. Mm-hmm. And um, one of them was the yelling. That's just one example. But I I knew like that's a thing for my childhood. And now I have to look at that thing and I have to analyze that thing. And I have to determine like, okay, why do I do that? Do I do that because it's the way it's always been done? Do I do it because that's what I was taught in church or by my parents or um, in school? Have I ever actually like sat down and thought about that thing, how it makes me feel, what my like 
moral compass says about it, what my non-negotiables are and how they stand up against it. And is it a thing I want to continue doing or is it just a thing I've been doing because historically that's what I've been taught to do. And Mm -hmm. I basically went through my, my whole life. I just went through all the ways that I acted and reacted to my kids and my husband and my mother and like, analyzed each piece and put it against that same test. Why do I behave this way? And do I like it? And if I Mm -hmm. didn't, then it was an area I went back to and worked to change. Well, this has just been so helpful and I can't wait for people to listen. Thank you so much, Rachel. This has been amazing. Thank you, Ashley. I appreciate you having me. Thanks so much for tuning into the U-Turn podcast. And again, thank you so much to our sponsors, Organifi, Soul CBD, SaneBox, and so much more. We are here because of you and our listeners. Thanks so much for checking out our sponsors. We always pick people we trust and for listening to the show, for writing reviews. Can't wait to talk to you next week. <laughs>